February, we do a relationship series every single year because here's why we do it. We do it because God genuinely cares about your marriage. He cares about your relationships. And we know this, that if the enemy wants to discourage you, all he has to do is attack your relationships, right? Some of the deepest hurts and the highest highs that you've had in your life have been in the context of your marriage, right? So the person that can wound you the most and then the person who can encourage you the most is probably sitting next to you. And so we want to let you know that we genuinely, deeply care about this marriage. So what we've been doing in this series called Relationship Goals, we've been taking different topics that different couples wrestle with. So last week we talked about trust. How do you trust a spouse that has broken that trust? Because how many of you know you can't just say, hey, trust me again? (laughs) There's a process that you have to walk through. So that's what we talked about last week. Now, this week, what I want to talk about is literally so fundamental to relationships, and it's something that most of us are so bad at, and it's communication. Um, So I've titled this message, Uncommon Communication. And I've titled it this way because I have this thesis, that great relationships are possible, but they're not probable if you do it the world's way. They're possible, like marriages can last, You could be married for 40, 50, 60 years, genuinely until death do us part. But how many of you know, just show of hands, relationships are hard. (laughs) They're just difficult. Have you ever looked at your spouse and be like, you know, today I don't really love you. I want to smother you with the pillow. Like anybody ever felt that way? They're just simply difficult. So I'm building this entire message around Romans 12 2 this morning. And it says this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you what? Think. Then you will learn how God's, what God's will is for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Listen, too many of us treat our relationships and we operate within the context of our relationships based on what the world says that they should look like. So we see relationships on Instagram and we're like, oh, they're so in love. No, it's so staged. <laughs> it's not real. You ever notice, like, especially within the context of relationships, we always, we, we post and we show everybody, like, the highlight reel of our relationships, like our vacation, our cool dinner. But we're, we never post, like, like, a picture of our wife or our husband. Like, we just got in a really bad argument. So social media is even this facade of what our relationships should look like. But think about it, especially when it comes to the context of communication, relationships, and especially in communication, it's so warped today. And you can test this theory by simply doing this. Post an opinion on Facebook and watch what happens. (laughs) Right? You notice this in the 2016 election. You remember how just vile our communication got? It's like we got into this place where we just started dehumanizing people. We forgot that there were other people on the other side of the screen, right? And unfortunately, this carries into our relationships, specifically in the context of the world. So here's what the world says. Oh, you're not happy with her? Just leave her, right? Or, oh, she talks, he talks bad about you? Will you just slam him and go tell all of your girlfriends what you just did? <laughs> See, the world says if you're not happy, the grass is greener on the other side. The world says, well, if you're in pain, guess what? You don't have to deal with it. You're responsible for your own happiness, and you don't need that person. Can we all be honest? Have you ever thought, like, maybe life would be better if I went back as a bachelor? Anybody? 
Am I the only one? <laughs> like, I love my wife to death, but the truth is relationships can be difficult. And so today, I want to talk about how we talk to each other, because this genuinely matters. I want to I build it by saying this. As a Christian, how can you claim to be so free and still talk to people the way you do? How can we claim this freedom and we still let whatever we want just fly out of our mouth? The truth is we can do better. And the truth is we can change and we can learn to communicate better. We can literally apply what Romans says. We can change the way that we think. Because here's the truth. We communicate unhealthy words and we speak words of death over people because it's the way we think. We grew up in a home, let's just be honest, we grew up in a home where nobody ever encouraged you. We grew up in a home where mom and dad let words fly like crazy, so you, you didn't even know it, but you were being trained to talk that way. You were being trained to think a specific way. Whether you realize it or not, you're all a product of your childhood. <laughs> like, I know some of you grew up and you're like, I'll never be like my father. I'll never be like my mother. You can't help it. <laughs> you grew up in the house, you learned those patterns and those behaviors. And sometimes specifically within the context of marriage, we've got to unlearn some things. We've got to learn to shape the way that we think. So here's what I want to do. I want to help you this morning. I want to give you four levels of communication. And then I want to give you some barriers and then we'll get to some solutions, okay? So four levels of communication. Number one, this is simply just surface communication. This is just like the cliche. It's like, how are you? I'm fine. This is the walk into a room, you don't really want to talk to anybody, so you nod. What's up? <laughs> right? Or you see somebody beelining to you, and you kind of give this nonverbal sign of, like, I'm not engaging. <laughs> right? This is, by the way, social media is surface communication. It's you get to post your opinion, and nobody gets to engage, right? And if you don't like their engagement, you get to delete them, <laughs> you unfollow. Then it moves from surface communication to general communication. This is a tad deeper than surface, but unfortunately, most marriages stay here. This is like, hey, babe, Eli has basketball practice at 4 o'clock. I'm going to be working late. Can you take him to practice? Or, hey, the electric bill is due on Friday. Can you make sure that you run by the place, and can you drop that off? But real communication has to go deeper than surface and general. If you want your relationship to last, you can't stay at surface and you can't stay at general communication. Men, let me help you for a minute. I'm going to teach you the most four most romantic words that you can say to your wife when she is talking your head off. You ready? Because here's what happens to every man. When she starts going and she starts talking, let's just be honest, you're not listening. So you know what you do to save yourself? And then what happens? And then what happened? Tell me, I can't tell you how many times in my marriage or in the context of our conversation, my wife is talking and I'm like, oh shoot, I'm not listening. And then I just look over at her and I'm like, and then what happened? <laughs> tell me, tell me more. Don't do that. That's a joke. I don't care what y'all say, but that is funny, okay? So you have surface communication, you have general communication, and here's the next two steps that most couples have a hard time getting to. And it's why you feel this distance in your relationship. You ever tried to pin it down? You're like, why, why is there this distance? What is it there? And sometimes it leads you to wondering, man, is there cheating? Is, are they doing something behind my back? And, and most of the time, it's usually because you're just not communicating about the things that you need to be communicating. 
So you have surface, you have general, and then number three, you have deep feelings. You're a human, therefore you have feelings. Men, you have feelings. And just because you say you don't have feelings doesn't make it irrelevant. Like, you have feelings. So here's what I put, here's how I want to say it. Your feelings may not always be right, but they are always real. Your feelings may not always be right, but they are always real. And, and let me tell you this, in marriage, if you don't create a safe place in your relationship to talk about feelings, you're in trouble. So let me ask you a question. Can your spouse share with you how they feel about a particular situation and you not pop back and say, well, let me tell you why you shouldn't feel this way. <laughs> you ever done that? Your wife's like, man, I'm just angry. I'm frustrated. I'm mad. And you're like, time out. Hold on. Let me tell you why you shouldn't be angry. <laughs> and let me tell you why you shouldn't be frustrated. And let me tell you why you shouldn't be mad. Another way to say it is this. You can question their facts, but you can't question their feelings. Because feelings are always real. And if you don't create a safe place within the context of your relationship for your wife or your husband to say, you know what, I'm angry. I'm bitter. I'm frustrated. If they can't do that, you're never communicating deep feelings, which leaves you at a place where your spouse never feels safe because every time they communicate their feelings to you, you're going to argue back on why they shouldn't feel that way. Okay, so that's, that's the third level. Then the fourth level is this, deep needs. So some spouses have the ability to get to deep feelings. They can talk about their feelings, but a lot of us don't talk about our deep needs. Now, let me go a step further. The greatest marriages or the spouse can communicate what they really need. So let me give you an example. In order for me to enjoy intimacy in our relationship, this is what I need from you. Now, how many know that's Vulnerability. That's difficult, right? The reason we don't get there, the reason that we don't make big asks and tell our spouse, hey, if you want me to enjoy this, this is what I need. The reason we have a hard time doing that is because it requires a certain level of us uncaging and unshackling our heart and giving it to the other person and going, here's what I need. And sometimes they can't meet that need. And so what do you do? You recoil, you retract, and you go, well, that's why I didn't tell you in the first place, right? Because you can't meet it. But the truth is you have to learn to talk about feelings. You have to learn to talk about deep needs. Your relationship has to have a deep sense of vulnerability with the other. If you're vulnerable with one another and you really know where that person is at, man, you can move mountains together. I told this to, to the first service, but psychologists did this study where they took 20 couples, they put 10 men in one room and 10 women in the other. And then they said to each to each room, they said, I want you to write down your spouse's four greatest needs. Not one couple got it right. Not one couple got it right. Now, they didn't get it right because they're not really communicating. See, if you sit on the basis of general communication, surface communication, here's the truth. The reason that you feel distant in your relationship is because you don't really know what the other person needs. You don't really know what they feel. I, I did a, a wedding yesterday for a couple here in the church, and on Friday, I did some premarital counseling for them, and I just started asking some questions. And I asked questions to try to get them to start thinking. And I asked a question, and the guy starts sharing some thoughts that he has about things, and the girl, his fiance, starts crying. I'm like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> Is the wedding still happening? And I'm like, so I paused. I said, hey, what's wrong? Are you okay? What's wrong? And she said, I never knew that about him. 
I never knew that that was a need that he had. And I go, okay, this is good. (laughs) This is why we're talking about this. Some of us don't even know what our spouse genuinely needs. So here's what it leads us to. It leads us to distance because your spouse constantly feels like they're not meeting my needs. So those are the different levels of communication. Now, let's talk about four barriers. Because there's barriers of why we stay at surface and why we stay at general and why we have a hard time moving to the deeper things. There's the barriers. Number one, there's withdrawal. This is where you get so frustrated that you stop communicating anything at all. (laughs) This is when you say things like, you know what? I've had enough. I'm going to bed. This is where the infamous silent treatment comes into play, right? Where you're like, you know what, I'm done. I'm done talking to you. We're not, making any, we're not making any headway. There's no solution. So you go to bed. So what happens? She gets on her side. He gets on his side. And God forbid one of you touch, <laughs> right? Because if you touch, you lose the silent game, <laughs> right? So this is withdrawal. You start withdrawing. You stop communicating. You stop talking. Now, here's what happens. You can only stay in withdrawal for a certain amount of time until you move to the the second one, which is escalation. This is where the silent treatment gets old, and now you're mad. (laughs) Now you're mad. So you walk into a room, you make sure that you lock eyes with your spouse, and you slam the door. This is where you see them, and your communication is not really with words, but it just looks like this. It's like when they walk into the room, you make sure you're like, (sighs) (sighs) you turn into a toddler, right? It's like, what are you doing? My two-year-old does that. Escalation. This is where your voice gets raised, which, by the way, doesn't solve anything. When you're in escalation, men, you can never win an argument. Never. This is a scientifically proven fact, and I'm not making a joke out of this. This is true. When a man's heart rate goes over 100 beats per minute in an argument, he loses all ability to have rational thought. It's why you always lose the argument, men. Because when you're arguing with your wife, you get to this place where you've escalated so high, all you can think of is, you're stupid. (laughs) I'll slam you, (laughs) right? You start saying crazy things. So you withdraw, you escalate, and then you move to three, which is a dangerous place to be at. You start belittling. Now you start using your words to tear the other person down. This is the moment in the argument. This is the moment in the relationship where you say, you know what? I'm not winning. So the only way for me to make them feel something is to say some stuff that makes them feel really low. By the way, belittling is just a form of insecurity. You know this, right? Belittling, like when you're talking down to your girlfriend, your husband, your wife, whatever it is, when you're belittling somebody, here's what happens. You already feel so low about yourself. So here's what you got to do. You got to make someone feel lower so that you can feel like you're on top. (laughs) It's insecurity. Now, here's the dangerous part. If you've gone through withdrawal, escalation, belittling, you move to four, and this is false belief. This is where you genuinely start believing that the grass is greener on the other side. 
and now you're convinced of a lie. Life would be easier without them. Life would be so much more free without that person. I would be a better person without this. I wouldn't hurt as much if we weren't in this relationship anymore. Can I tell you something? I can promise you this. I've walked through enough couples through this. The grass is never greener on the other side. Ever. Listen, I don't know where we get this idea, but yet again, it's a worldly concept. We get this idea that I'm in pain in this relationship right now, and in order to release myself from the pain, I need to go find another relationship. Here's the problem. You take that pain, and you transfer it to another person. You never heal. So you take all the pain that you took from another relationship, and guess what happens? You bring it to the next one. And then you're like, man, you know what? Well, that person wasn't right for me anyway. If you avoid pain, you're only going to drag more pain into the next relationship. So here is where we are right now. What do we do? We've talked about the barriers. We've talked about the forms of communication. We have to take an uncommon approach. We have to take a biblical approach of how we talk to each other in order for relationships to work smoothly. So Matthew 12 says it this way. Let me tell you something. Every one of these careless words is going to come back to haunt you. There will be a time of reckoning. Words are powerful, so take them seriously. Words can be your salvation, and words can be your damnation. Here's the truth. We're all a product of our words. All of us. Here's what this scripture is telling us in this moment. It's saying one day, every single person in this room will give an account for the words that they choose to speak. Every single word. Every single word. You build the world that you live in with your words. And every single person in this room is a product of the words that have been spoken over them. Let's take it even further. Your spouse is a product of the words that you've spoken over them. With your words, you create the world that you live in. And I want you to know something, that there's no such thing, there's no such thing as a neutral word. It's only you build somebody up or you tear somebody down. You build somebody up or you tear somebody down. There's no in between. Now, I love what George Bernard Shaw said in this quote. He puts it this way. He said, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. Meaning this, oh, my spouse knows I love them. Oh, they, they know I'm for them. They know I support them. Do they really? If we never say it, do they really know it? So here's what I want to move us to today. Our communication with our spouse has to be intentional. It has to be intentional. So let's talk about how we have uncommon communication. How can we do this thing better? How can we create a marriage in a union that can last forever? Number one, praise. Meaning this, I'm going to find your qualities and I'm going to highlight them as much as I can. How many know it's easy to point out the negative? (laughs) It's easy to look at your spouse and figure out all the negative things that you don't like about that person. So here's what this means. Praise, it simply means this. When you see something good, say it. 
If you don't say it, they don't know it. And listen, I, I, I'm just as bad as the next at this because I, I just make assumptions all the time. Oh, she knows I love her. But if you don't say it, they will never know it. Proverbs 25, 11 puts it this way. A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Can I be honest with you? We genuinely underestimate how far an encouraging word can go. Your spouse needs to know that you're for them, that you're with them. Because let's be honest, some of us grew up in homes where we weren't encouraged. We weren't pushed to be better. We had harsh words spoken over us, and we've taken that into our marriage. We don't believe that we can do it. We don't believe that our spouse is for them. So what has to happen? We got to start speaking that over each other. Listen, baby, I know you feel like a failure right now, but here's, here's the good qualities that I see in you, and here's how I know that you're going to succeed. So praise is a form of uncommon communication. It's something that we have to start doing in our relationships. Number two, thanksgiving. Learn to be thankful for what you have. Gosh, in America, we're so bad at this. We're so bad at this. Because we're always pointing out the things that we don't have. I've had the privilege to travel all over the world and it's crazy. You can touch down in Africa and you see people living in grass huts and they're so happy. Like, what is that? They're just thankful for what they have. They're thankful that they get to eat today. And maybe you might look at your spouse and you're like, well, you know what? To be honest with you, I'm not thankful for much. <laughs> and that just might be where you're at. So start with the things that are obvious. Men, it may be looking at your wife and saying, you know what? Thank you for putting your body on the line to have our children. Thank you. That's a big deal. Men, you wouldn't make it. I've seen my wife deliver six kids. I would rather die. I would rather die. I've seen the pain that she's walked through, carrying those babies, the back issues, can't sleep, and all the insecurities that comes along. I've ruined my body. No, you haven't. Be thankful. It, it could simply be, man, you know what? Thank you for working hard. You know what the temptation in that, though, is? We like to encourage, but then we also like to throw in a little caveat to try to motivate them. <laughs> Thank you for working hard, but I do wish we had a little bit more money. You know what you do in that immediately? You disregard the thankfulness. <laughs> Thank you for working hard, but you're not enough. <laughs> Man, thank you for mothering our kids. Thank you for instilling disciplines into them. Thank you for being the glue to our family. Proverbs 18, 21 says it this way. The tongue has the power of what? Life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Men, watch this. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. And receives favor from the Lord. Notice Proverbs says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. So here's what this means. Start telling your wife the good things that you like about her. Here's what's crazy. Telling somebody that you're thankful for them almost takes zero effort, but it adds immense value. It doesn't take a whole lot of effort. It just takes you studying a few things within your spouse and just being, hey, I noticed that you did this. Thank you for doing that. Thank you. Number three, affection. This one is so 
huge. This is one of the most valuable forms of communication that most couples don't have. Meaning this, can you use terms of endearment with your spouse? Can you look your spouse in the eyes? Can you pause everything else going on around you, your busy, hectic life? We're all busy. Can you take five minutes out of your day to pause, to make a phone call, to FaceTime her, him, whatever it is, look at them in the eyes and say, babe, I trust you, I love you, I'm for you, you got this. You have my whole heart. I'm telling you this, if you're not affectionate with your spouse, there's somebody else who is willing to be. When you're not affectionate, you leave room for temptation within the relationship. Affection is so key. Watch what Jeremiah 3, 31, 3 says. I have loved you, my people. Watch this. These are terms of endearment. With everlasting love, with unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. It's learning to talk different. It's learning to change up your daily habit of, I love you. Yeah, I love you too. That becomes just a common thing when you hang up the phone. Love you. Bye. Love you. You ever have your spouse, man, you never tell me you love me. I tell you I love you all the time. It becomes white noise because we're not thinking of other creative ways to do it. It's affection. I trust you. I love you. I'm with you. I'm for you. Number four, encouragement. Find the areas of life where your spouse is discouraged and encourage them. Because <laughs> how many of you know we all have bad days? We all have days when we're tempted to quit. We all have days when you say, you know what, life is just so overwhelming. I'm not called to this job. I don't want to do this anymore. And a word of encouragement just pushes you and gives you what you need. Ephesians 4.29 says, don't let un any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Can I, can I be honest with you? I mean, pastoring a church is one of the, the greatest joys in my life, and it's one of the hardest things that I've done. And I'll just be honest with you. I, I'm not up here to try to, you know, make it look like I've got it all together and Claire, know, Claire and I have it all figured out. We don't. I'll just be honest with you. There's days that are so hard, I want to quit. And you know what's helped me? My wife's saying, babe, you know what? God's called you to this. You got it. You can do it. I trust you. I believe in you. That word of encouragement, there's something that happens, women, when you encourage a man to do something, if you say, babe, I believe you can move that mountain, he genuinely believes he can. <laughs> there's something that happens to your soul when you encourage somebody. I shared this in the first service, but I see it in my oldest daughter, who's six years old, Amelia. So she has two brothers. Her oldest brother, Eli and Isaac, are just smart as heck in school. They're like Claire. They got her brain. They can sit in school. They can pay attention. They understand the concepts. They make straight A's. They do well. They don't have to put in a whole lot of effort. I hate them. <laughs> Amelia, she got my brain. She's sitting in class She's not thinking about math. She's like, flowers, ponies. How can I paint my nails and do my hair? She's out there. That's me, okay? She, you put her in a desk in a school system that I just, it's not built for kids like that. That's a whole other conversation. 
you put her in this regimented routine, man, she's like, I, I got to get out of here. I got to do this. And so, so she sometimes struggles with this insecurity that she's not as smart as her brothers. But you know what's crazy and shifts her entire perspective? I would just look at her, Amelia, you're so beautiful. You're so smart. You can do this. I believe in you. It changes her whole perspective immediately. Man, if we could do that for our kids, imagine what that would look like for our spouse. When they're discouraged, when they're down. Don't just sit with with your spouse in the discouragement and go, yeah, that sucks. (laughs) Sorry, you know. Can't change it. Don't be that guy. (laughs) Number five, this one is so big, kindness. Now, let me explain to you what I mean by this. Kindness is simply creating a culture within the context of your relationships where your spouse feels safe to share failures. Can your spouse come to you and say, you know what, I blew it really bad. I overspent, I messed up, whatever it is. Are you going to lash out on them? Are you going to create a safe place and say, you know what, this isn't okay. We got to work through this, but I love you and I'm here for you and we're going to figure this thing out together. Listen, if you walk into a room and you're walking on eggshells because you don't know how your spouse is going to respond, I promise you this, they will hide from you. They will run from you and they will not be honest with you. Why? Because they don't feel safe with you. What kind of culture and environment are we creating in our home? Do your kids walk in, in at home and go like, oh my God, is dad okay? Is mom all right? Like, can I say this? Can I say that? Is somebody about to lash out on me? What kind of environment are we creating in our homes? It has to be an environment of kindness. Watch what Proverbs 15.1 says. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You ever had that moment of vulnerability with the spouse? You're like, okay, I'm gonna share the failure. I'm finally working up the courage. And you share it and they lash out on you. And what do you do back? Man, just thank you so much for being angry with me. No, you lash back. Well, that's why I never share anything with you. Then we move to this one, number six. I wanna spend a little bit of time on this one because this one is so important. Speak the truth in love. You can speak the truth, but if it's not in love, they will not hear you. So let me touch on this topic just for a moment. Christians, believers, people that claim the name of Jesus, it's not your job to convict other people. It's not your job to take the truth and beat other people up with the truth. It's not your job. Scripture is very clear. That's the Holy Spirit's job. It is not your job to be the Holy Spirit for your spouse. (laughs) Oh, God's not speaking to you? Well, I'll speak to you. (laughs) Right? It's not our job to take this truth. And unfortunately, here's what's happened. And you see it. This is why so many people are turned away from Christianity. It's because Christians have taken it upon themselves to be the moral police. You may have an opinion about something that somebody lives and how their life and how they should live it. It's not your job to say it. It's not. Our job is to love people, to help people through their process, to show them kindness. And then when we do see things in our spouse, we can say, hey, you know what? It's not okay. So so let me give you a scenario. So how do we speak the truth and love to one another? We do it like this. 
you're in an argument, something your spouse says, it really pricks you. It offends you. It hurts you. Walk away from that conversation. You process it. You pray through it. And then you come back maybe the next day. And you say this, hey, babe, remember the argument yesterday? Yeah, I remember the argument. When we had that argument, you probably didn't mean it. You probably didn't even realize that you said it this way. But when you said it, it really hurt me. And I know you probably didn't mean it that way. Can we talk about this? Do you know how much in a moment when you offer it like that, it just disarms the conflict? So that other person is like, oh, no, you, you know what? You're right. I didn't mean it that way. And sometimes it's like, no, you know what? I didn't mean it that way. But you don't come raging in with this conflict. You learn to speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15 says, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Yet again, this goes back to, well, Jesus spoke the truth, so I need to speak the truth. You're actually wrong. He did speak the truth. According to John 1.14, it says that he was full of truth and grace. And some of us just like to take the truth part. Well, he spoke the truth, so I'm going to speak the truth, right? You do it without grace, you're going to be wrong every single time. Let me put it to you this way. I broke it down three ways. Truth without grace is mean. It's mean. You're going to turn people off every single time. But grace without truth is meaningless. And truth and grace together is medicine. You need both of them. It's not, if you take, if you just, well, I'm going to grace, I'm going to just pass over every flaw, I'm never going to mention it, you will be a bitter person. <laughs> but if you come in blazing all the time, I'm just going to speak the truth and I'm going to, Man, you're going to be super abrasive and super offensive, and your spouse is never going to come to resolve with you. You need both. It's like this marriage, truth and grace together. And then I'll close with this. The last form of healthy, uncommon communication is prayer. So here's what I mean by this. I'm not saying like you got to wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning with your spouse and you pray together. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this. When you're at an impasse, in your relationship, and you get to this place where words are not enough anymore. You ever gotten to a place in the argument where you're like, we are not going to resolve this? Just not going to happen. So what do you do in that moment? Here's what you do. You're going back and forth. Somebody has to be the adult in the moment. Somebody has to go, hold on, time out. We're not getting anywhere. You're angry. I'm angry. You're frustrated, I'm frustrated, so here's how you disarm it. You grab her by the hand and you say, can we pray about this? Can we pray through this? And here's what you do. Let me, let, me, let me show you and help you what that prayer looks like. It's not like, God, you know, we're just at an impasse. If you could just strike them dead right now, that'd be really helpful. <laughs> or God, you know what? I just pray that you would help them to see my point. <laughs> They'd come over to the light on my side. No, it's simple. It's, it's God, you know what? We don't know what to do. We've argued. We've gone round and round. We need your wisdom. Would you just help us? Would you speak to this moment? Would you speak to this situation? Do you know how quickly that disarms conflict? Because all of a sudden, that other person is kind of like, whoa, somebody grew up for a moment. <laughs> in the middle of the, somebody was the adult in all of this. We prayed through it. 
Now, I want to offer you something. Pastor Tim Delina said this a few months ago, and it's just stuck with me. I can't get it out of my head. And he said, be careful not to put on another man's armor. Here's what I mean by that. Every couple, specifically in the context of prayer, is going to have something that works for them. So here's what I mean. You might read the marriage books. You might even hear this series and you go, oh, Pastor Zach and Claire did that. That's what we need to do. No. Just because it works for them doesn't mean it'll work for you. My wife doesn't want me to pastor her. (laughs) She doesn't want me to preach a sermon to her. My wife and I don't necessarily, we don't pray together every day. We pray for each other. So what you got to do is you got to find what works for you. Maybe that is drinking coffee, waking up and praying together. Maybe that works for you. Great. But every couple's different. So it's you taking all of this, and I'm not trying to give you like, if you don't do these things, it's not going to work. What you got to find is you've got to become a student of your own spouse and figure out what their needs are, how you can meet those, and how you can serve one another. So for you, it may look like we're going to wake up in the morning and pray together. And that may be a good base. Maybe for you and where you're at in your life and in your relationship, that doesn't work. So it's, you know what, at 12 o'clock, we're going to talk for five minutes, and we're just going to encourage each other at lunchtime. Or we're going to FaceTime. I'm going to take a block out of my busy schedule just to have a deep, meaningful conversation. Because how many of you know when you get caught up in work, it's just, it's like the relationship, it just, it gets put on hold for a moment. But if you can have a time just that, you know what, we're going to be intentional about this. We're going to talk, we're going to communicate. We're going to get on a deep level here. So whatever that looks like for you, you got to figure that out. And that will change everything about your relationship. Listen, if we want to have healthy relationships, we have to take an uncommon approach. It can't look like the world. It can't look like Instagram. It's not going to look like Instagram. (laughs) Everybody posts the, the highlight stories of their life already. Vacation, vacation, nice meal, just bought this new truck. It's like, it's fake. It's all fake. Right? Nobody's posting like, nobody's going Facebook live in the middle of a showdown of an argument, right? (laughs) Check me out, I'm about to annihilate her. You know, we don't do that because, here's why, because we don't want people to see the real parts of who we are. (laughs) Here's what I've been challenged with lately. God loves you just as he finds you right now. See, that's the greatest challenge of believing the gospel. That's the greatest challenge of coming to resolve in your relationship. You may look at all this and you say, man, we got a lot of work to do. Don't feel guilty about that. Be okay with where you're at. Because Jesus says, come just as you are, heavy laden with all of your burdens, and I'll give you rest. Stop feeling guilty for where you're at right now. That's the enemy saying, oh, look, how you got a lot of work to do. So what? It's a journey anyway. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's going to take some time. It's okay. God doesn't need you to be a wizard in the relationship category. He doesn't even need you to be a wizard spiritually. You don't need to know the Greek and the Hebrew. You don't have to know all that stuff right out of the bat. Be okay with where you're at right now and let God move on that. And guess what? He'll grow you up. He'll put you on a journey where you and your wife can get closer. You and your husband can get closer. 
you get in a better spot in your marriage.